0: Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, My name is Daniel, one of the pastors, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'll sometimes say on a Sunday morning that uh, I'm glad you're here no matter how you come into this place. That if you come in doubting or fearful, tired from a long week, exhausted, angry, hurt, sad, glad, excited, however you come into this place, however you feel, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're here because I know however it is that you're coming into this place, you come with either some type of a whisper or a little bit of a rumbling. Maybe it's a roar with this desire to encounter and experience God. Or else you would not be here. There is something inside of you this morning that wants to meet God. That's why you're here. We're going to be looking mostly at Exodus chapter 3 this morning and I'll reference to chapter 4 as we continue in our series in the Old Testament book of Exodus. And we're looking at perhaps a familiar passage for some of you, Moses' encounter with God, his experience of God at the burning bush. And I believe this is a paradigm for us, for what it means for us to meet and encounter God. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we look at Exodus chapter 3. going to read verses 1 through 15. This is God's word to us this morning. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. That you would, by your Spirit, draw our minds and our hearts, our spirits, our souls, to encounter and to experience the true and living God. I pray that you would remove me so that Christ is exalted, that your word would pierce our hearts and change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So what does it mean to encounter God? What does it mean to experience God? Now, I know that we're treading on difficult ground in asking this question because lots of people have had an encounter with God. Some encounters are genuine, others not so much. If you've had an encounter uh, with somebody, a, a conversation with someone, and they told you that they had an experience with God, God told them, God showed them this. And you've wondered, was that encounter genuine? Was it real? I mean, how do we know that? Uh, I mean, when people say this, it can often feel like a trump card today in our culture because uh, we value people's experience over all things today, right? So how do we really know if we meet God? One-on-one, genuinely experiencing God. On the other hand, I know there are people, perhaps some of you here this morning that have longed to meet God, longed to experience God, and it seems like nothing is happening. Last week, if you were here, I said that Moses's life and his experience are a preview of what the nation of Israel will experience. Second generation Israel would be reading this book of Exodus, and they would have known what first generation Israel experienced, and that it was the same thing that Moses experienced, that Moses's life gives Israel a picture of their life. Therefore, I believe that Moses gives us a picture, a paradigm of what it means to encounter God, for us to meet God one-to-one, as Moses met God one-to-one at the burning bush. And as Moses meets God, he asks two big questions, these two big questions that really frame this passage, and most commentators have noted that. But before we Look at these two questions. I want us to look at and see how God prepared Moses. He was preparing Moses to experience and encounter him and then to lead Moses to a deeper trust and faith in him. So look with me at verse 1. It says now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God. Moses is in the wilderness, and he's on the west side, which Hebrew scholar Robert Alter said means deep in. Moses is deep in the wilderness. The wilderness for Moses and the wilderness for us is a place of deprivation. It is a place where we long for more. It's a place where we realize that we're without. It's also a place of limitation. It's a place where we begin to realize that we're not all sufficient. Moses is deep in the wilderness. In the New Testament book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, it tells us that Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses is in the wilderness because we saw last week in chapter 2 that Moses tried to take matters into his own hands. He saw a Hebrew and Egyptian fighting. He kills the Egyptian, tries to manage his life by his own means and his own resources, and things didn't work out so well for Moses, so he fled to Midian. Moses, the prince of Egypt, now turned an outlaw, is a shepherd in the desert. And it's in this place of deprivation and limitation that Moses learns and that we learn we cannot manage life by our own means and our own resources. We learn we're not in control. Some of you might find yourself in the wilderness because your life is not what you imagined it would be at this point. You surely envisioned you would be married by now, at least dating someone by now. You imagined you'd be further along in your career. Maybe you envisioned a thriving marriage, and your marriage has not been what you expected. it. Perhaps you envisioned a loving and full family, children well-behaved who followed the Lord, and they loved their parents, and you're pretty sure your children don't love the Lord, and you're not even sure if they love you. All of us have visions, expectations for our lives, and hear me, it is God's grace at times for us to be in the wilderness. It's a place where we long for more, a place where we come face to face with our limitations because it's deep in the wilderness that God prepares us to encounter Him. Next, look at verses 2 to 3 with me. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Moses is in the wilderness. He looks off. He sees something that just doesn't make any sense, a bush on fire. And the bush doesn't burn up, and the fire is not going out. This makes zero sense to Moses quite unexpected. So Moses turned aside, and he looked into the situation that just didn't compute. This is another thing that God does to prepare us to encounter him, to come across something that we cannot explain in our current mode of understanding reality, or we come to a place in our lives where we are bewildered because things just don't make sense. If you're skeptical, or maybe you'd call yourself irreligious, To genuinely meet God, God might prepare you by bringing you into a situation in which you cannot explain it according to your current worldview. Or if you're a follower of Jesus, you might call yourself religious. Perhaps you get a little too familiar with God and you try to put God in a box. To genuinely meet God, God might be preparing you in just the same way. Come across a situation, a burning bush that just doesn't compute something that you can't put God in a box with, and therefore you either adjust your worldview and your view of God, or you have to live in contradiction with your experiences. Here's the key. Moses turned aside. Moses stops and looks into this very unexpected burning bush. Is God trying to get your attention? Moses stops and looks. If God is trying to get your attention, the bigger question becomes, are you willing to stop and look into what God is doing in your life and then listen to Him? Our passage shows that God doesn't call Moses' name until He has Moses' attention. Moses looks into the burning bush, and then God speaks His name, Moses, Moses. When you cannot make sense of life, and you stop and you listen to a God who is trying to get your attention, you might just hear him speak your name. This is how God prepares Moses to meet him one to one. It's how God prepares us to meet God. So Moses then poses these two questions that really frame the whole passage, frame his encounter with God. He says, who am I, God? And God, who are you? Who am I? Who are you? Two basic questions, but these two basic questions are what 16th century theologian John Calvin said are the two most fundamental questions in all of life. Calvin said all wisdom consists in the answer to these two questions. In other words, all wisdom is found in the knowledge of self and the knowledge of God. And Calvin continues to write that these two questions must be asked, answered, and held together that we cannot know ourselves apart from God, and we cannot know God apart from knowing ourselves. And our culture teaches an opposition to this. Our current culture teaches us to separate these questions. Who am I? Or you could say this is a question of identity. Who am I is a different question. It's separate from this searching for the meaning of who God is or the question, God, who are you? You know this, right? Our, Our culture tells us to look within to discover who we are, especially in the last 60 years. There's been a huge cultural shift that tells us that our identity is defined by what I determine, that the self has the autonomy to determine what is good and what is right, that whatever feels good on the inside is what makes the rules for the self. Our current age has been taught to get in touch with the inner voice. And then let that inner voice give you your identity. That's what cultural apologist Kanye West said. If I can't be me, then what's left? We all should have the freedom to express ourselves and be what we desire to be. Today's culture teaches that sin is no longer on the inside, but completely in the external structures that suppress us which I do believe external structures can suppress us, but we have been taught completely that our inside is always right. That our inside's always right. I heard one pastor say salvation has now become the way of becoming true to yourself. Salvation is as long as you're true to yourself. Right? That's the gospel. That's the new good news that our, our current culture and current age proclaims. And we have to understand most of history and most cultures within history have always held that what we believe outside of ourselves is where we gain our identity. That we go outside and we gain our morality, our ethic, our right and wrong, and then we bring it to the inside to determine what I shall do and who I shall be. And this is exactly what Christianity teaches. That we can only understand ourselves in reference to God. We understand ourselves as we understand God. So let's look at these two questions. The first one, who am I? Who am I? God tells Moses he's going to be sent to Pharaoh to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then Moses asks the question in verse 11, who am I? So let's put ourselves in Moses' shoes for a little bit. Moses wants the prince of Egypt, part of the royal family, part of the elite and the privileged We saw last week in chapter 2 that Moses was pretty self-confident. He was confident enough to intervene in a fight between a Hebrew and an Egyptian. He intervenes and then he flees to Midian to the desert. Moses is a runaway. He's been in Midian for 40 years. He's a shepherd, which is a vocation despised by Egyptians. I guarantee Moses was raised to think he's better than any shepherd. Here he is, 40 years in the desert tending sheep. Forty years. Surely Moses is assuming now this is his lot. This is his place in life. He wasn't planning some great return to Egypt. He was assuming he would be a shepherd in the desert for the rest of his life. If you can't feel Moses' despair, imagine Israel, the nation. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Generation after generation after generation, knowing nothing but suffering and backbreaking labor. Surely Israel thought, This is who we are. We are forever slaves. Forty years into Moses being a shepherd in the desert, and God appears in a burning bush. And he gets Moses' attention and he tells Moses, You're going to lead God's people out of slavery to salvation, to the promised land. Now, maybe you read Moses' response to the burning bush when it cries out, Moses, Moses, in verse 4, when Moses says, Here I am as some great confidence that Moses possesses. But I think you'll see in a minute that his response is not so much great confidence, but more reverence and awe of this burning bush speaking his name. Because what we see mostly in our passage and in chapter 4 is a shaky, doubting Moses. He is not very confident, in this passage, his question, Who am I? coming right after God telling him he would lead Israel out of Egypt is filled with resignation and reluctance. We didn't read chapter 4, but if we had read it, you would have seen all the ways in the first half of chapter 4 that Moses lays out before God why he's not qualified to be Israel's deliverer and redeemer. I mean, the first half of chapter 4 is one of the most embarrassing whining sessions recorded in the Bible. I mean, Moses, this great deliverer, is an incredible whiner, and a complainer. I mean, he will call into question God's call on his life five times. He'll say things like, God, I'm not eloquent in speech. God, I can't talk very well. They're not going to listen to me. David Plotz, who is Jewish, and at one point the general editor of Slate Magazine, did a series a few years ago called Blogging the Bible on the website the slate and his insight into exodus were pretty interesting and uh, and funny at times listen to his take on exodus three to four he wrote this is the most profound encounter between a man and his maker at the same time it feels more like a discussion between an enthusiastic overeager father and his extremely sullen teenage son god would have smitten any other human who tried him so but here he merely rebukes moses this doesn't deter the vexatious prophet he, if he lived in the 21st century, this is the point when Moses would be showing God two doctor's notes diagnosing chronic fatigue syndrome. <laughs> Moses is whining, and he ends his whining session by telling God, God, send someone else. Don't send me. Moses shaking, doubting, fearful. And we need to see that God doesn't answer Moses' question of who I am in a way that we might, right? Take, for example, if my son were to come to me and say, Dada, who am I that I should go to school today, right? Who, who am I that I can go and play on this baseball team? You know, something that would, would cause him to step out of himself. Who am I, Dada, that I should do this? You know what I would want to tell him? Hey, buddy, you can do it. Buddy, you are better than you think, man. You're stronger, you're more able than you think. And sometimes we need to encourage that way. But God doesn't try to encourage Moses with self-confidence. He doesn't tell Moses, hey Moses, let me tell you, you actually are better at talking than you thought. Man, your rhetoric skills are pretty good. Israel's going to listen to you, man. Just keep practicing, you're going to be good. He doesn't encourage Moses with confidence in Moses. He says in verse 12, I will be with you. I will be with you. God tells Moses, Moses, look outside of yourself. This is who you are. God is with you. One commentator powerfully wrote, Moses spent 40 years in Egypt thinking he was somebody, 40 years in the desert learning he was nobody, and 40 years in the wilderness learning God was everything." you see how these two questions go together? We know ourselves as we know God. In Christianity, we believe that our identity is grounded and rooted in who God is. The second question, God, who are you? Verse 13, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what's his name, what shall I say to them? Moses, in asking for God's name, isn't asking for God's title. He's asking for God's character. God, who are you? And God's already revealed himself to Moses in two major ways in our passage. The first is he appears to Moses as fire at a burning bush. Throughout Scripture, God appears as fire. Think with me for a second about fire. Fire's beautiful. I love sitting around a fire with friends and family. But fire is something that you don't mess around with. There's power in fire. There's a respect we should have with fire. It's why we say, you're going to be playing with fire if you mess with me, right? (laughs) Watch out. You're playing with fire. What we see to be true of God is that he often appears as fire, which means he's holy. He is set apart. He is unique. He is a God to be revered and honored. He is a God we don't play around with. While Moses responds, here I am. Not because he's self-confident in this call that God's put on his life, but he realizes the holy God he stands before. So another thing about fire is that it's not like clay. You know, clay you can mold and shape. Fire is actually the inverse. Fire shapes and molds other things. When we encounter God, he will burn away whatever we might bring into his presence to leverage him. You know what I mean, don't you? When you go to God because you had a good week? You go to God because you don't believe you deserve the treatment you're getting? Or you go to God because you deserve better circumstances? When we encounter God genuinely, there is a burning away of any thought that we might be able to manipulate Him. Because He's God. And He is holy, holy, holy. Deuteronomy 4.24 says that our God is a consuming fire the other truth we see about who god is is he's compassionate he's compassionate look at verse seven says then the lord said i've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in egypt and i've heard their cry because of their taskmasters i know their suffering this is the first time that moses actually hears god's voice of compassion that god sees and god knows the pain of the israelites god sees and god hears uh, moses's pain and fear and god is patient with moses even questioning God five, five times, God is slow to anger and gracious and compassionate. God is both holy and compassionate. He's not one or the other, but He's both and. Holy and loving. And we have to be careful not to emphasize one more than the other. because We can be prone to do that. Churches can be prone to do this, and we get in trouble when we do it. God is both fully loving and completely holy. And then God gives Moses his name. But it's more insight into God's character. God says, tell them I am who I am. Tell them Yahweh has sent you. Now there's been a lot written on this section and on Yahweh, I am who I am. A common translation that I like a lot is God is saying, I will be who I will be. Tell them I will be who I will be, meaning I will reveal who I am by my actions. God is saying my nature is revealed by what I will do for you. Remember, Moses is shaking and he's doubting in his call to go and set Israel free. Moses is afraid of Egypt. How's he supposed to show back up after 40 years of being a shepherd in the desert and lead Israel? The Egyptians held all the power They also had their own gods, the god of the sun, the god of the moon, you name it. They had a god for it. And the Egyptians believed that their gods were the most powerful. It's why they were winning. It's why Egypt was in control. And so God tells Moses in his self-doubt and in his fear of Egypt, I am who I am. I will accomplish what I will for you, Moses. He's saying I'm not the god of the sun or the god of the moon. I'm not part of reality, but I'm the very ground of reality. I am who I am. So what do we do when we find ourselves in this life full of fear? Wondering if God is going to be able to do what he says he will do. Now I heard a statistic the other day that 85% of Americans fear a terrorist attack will happen on U.S. soil within the year. We fear our future. We fear our uh, for our families, we fear danger, we fear failure, we fear death. Fear is prevalent in our hearts and in our society. And what do we do when we feel like the world out there is powerful and scary and we question if God is able to be who He says He will be and if God is able to do what He says He will do? When we find ourselves asking God, who are you? John chapter 8, verse 58, the New Testament Gospel The leaders are questioning Jesus and his authority. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He's not saying, I'm older than Abraham. I was like, I'm eternal before Abraham. He's saying, I am. He is clearly echoing Exodus chapter 3. He is the one who will do what God says he will do. The one by which we must be saved. The new name by which all who desire to meet God and encounter God must come through. We must look to Jesus. And Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. This is who God is, a God who gave up his only son to lay down his life on a cross. The son of God who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, gave away his life as he was lifted up on a cross. And on the cross, the holiness of God and the love of God meet. Justice poured out as he paid for our sins, yet love on display. For those who put their faith in Jesus, God calls his beloved. You better believe the cross of Jesus, then and still today, blows everyone's categories. It makes zero sense that victory and redemption comes through a crucified Messiah. But this is who God is. The God who loves us so much that he gave his only son so that by faith in him we could be called child. Loved, cleansed, forgiven, chosen, redeemed. Do you see who God is and that you're connected and that who you are is connected to who he is? Let me end by saying this. Another way you know you've experienced God is that after you've experienced him, you know that you're sent out to be on God's mission. You're sent out. You may feel shaky in your confidence of going out just like Moses. You may not be sure that you want to go out just like Moses. God, send someone else. Don't send me. But when you genuinely encounter God, you will follow and obey and be on his redemption plan for the whole world. You will seek to see God deliver people from the power of sin. You will seek to see God deliver structures and systems from the power of sin. You'll long for individuals and communities and cities and nations and the whole world to experience the healing hand of God. Are you living on mission? Are you living on His mission? Are you aware that in and through Christ, we are on a mission to see individual lives changed, communities transformed, our city of Durham renewed, and the whole world healed? Whenever God calls you in to encounter Him, He always sends you out to be used by Him. When you get an experience of God and an experience of His heart, you begin to live with His heart, which is a worldwide global healing for everything that is broken. Let me pray. God, I ask that you would do what only you can do. Get our attention. Wake us up. Help us to turn and look in, and then may we hear you speak our name. And may we see Jesus, the one who accomplished what we could never accomplish, the one who delivers and redeems, and the one by which, whose name we must be saved. Through Christ we are your loved, your child, your redeemed, your chosen. We're your family. We're eternally secure. So, Lord, I pray you would help us to know that to be true because we genuinely encounter you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.